at last week's SAS Championship Executive Women's Day event from Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina, Earfluence set up a podcast studio in a room right by the stage. The Diversity Movement's Jackie Ferguson hosted, and we got some amazing content from speakers at the event, extending off of what they brought to the stage. Today, we bring you Episode 1 of the Executive Women's Day podcast with keynote speaker Patsy Dorr, CEO of the Association of Junior Leagues International. Be sure to find the Executive Women's Day podcast on any podcast app. We'll be releasing new episodes every Tuesday. And if you want a podcast from your live event, be sure to connect with us at EarFluence.com. All right, here's the Executive Women's Day podcast. Diversity is a fact, inclusion is an action, and belonging is the outcome. In an organization or an association or anywhere, in an academic environment or otherwise, we can bring in as many diverse people as we wish, right? But if the culture doesn't support it, it's never going to work. Welcome to the Executive Women's Day podcast brought to you by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina. We are on site at the SAS Championship Executive Women's Day event where leaders of today and tomorrow have gathered to engage in meaningful dialogue, share insights on business perspectives, best practices, and the inclusion and empowerment of women in the workplace. I'm Jackie Ferguson, co-founder of the Diversity Movement and host of the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast. And with me today is Patsy Dorr, CEO of the Association of Junior Leagues International and keynote speaker at today's Executive Women's Day event. Welcome, Patsy. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. I am so excited about this conversation. Patsy, let's just jump in. Before your current role as CEO of the Junior League, you had diversity, equity, and inclusion roles at Credit Suisse and Thomas Reuters. Why does DEI need to matter to organizations? Okay. Yeah. Great question. Yes. I'm only one year into my current role. Yes. So most of my experience, as you know, has been in large corporations yes. and primarily financial services. And um, so I tell you that for a reason. I mean, I think, and I was just talking about this with a, with an audience of students about how diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging has mm. become so much more important in recent years for yes. a couple of different factors, right? Number one, societal issues, mm-hmm. you know, changing demographics, yes. and then unfortunately tragic events of, of recent years, yes. including the murder of George Floyd, of mm-hmm. course, and, and many others, unfortunately. Right. Um, in it, un- unfortunately or fortunately, that's brought the issue more to the forefront of individuals and organizations more so than in the past. And so I think we have societal pressures on us as individuals and organizations There's also, and we've talked about this, and you know this well as a DEIB practitioner too, the business case, right? Many organizations have stopped talking about it, Mm -hmm. and I don't think that's the best approach to do because I think the business case is still critical. Absolutely. Right? I mean, if you you think about engaging employees, keeping them motivated, Mm -hmm. keeping them productive, that all has an impact on the bottom line. That's right. And so I think organizations need to consider that as they think about their commitment and hopefully sustained long-term commitment Mm -hmm. to DEI and B. So it's the societal piece. It's the business case. Yes. And then the other piece that I think is so important is that we know that individuals looking for roles, looking to join organizations, eight out of 10 at any age, any stage in their career Mm -hmm. are making these decisions based on how committed organizations are to the topic. That's right. So I think we just can't ignore it anymore and it can't be sidelined anymore for Mm -hmm. all of those reasons. That that's such great information. And, you know, it's, 
it's so true because, you know, if we think about the events that happened uh, in, you know, 2020, right. it, it's now, you know, we're getting back as much to our regular lives as we can, right? We're not stopped and able to see these things play out. We're back to the busyness of our day-to-day. How do we, you know, create a situation where companies and, and employees are still wanting to, you know, go with this momentum and, and create um, sustainable change. And it's through understanding the business case, yeah. right? Because, you know, as society gets, again, back to its day-to-day, that business case is, you know, irrefutable. Right. And it certainly makes a difference. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. Patsy, you talked about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Let's talk a little about belonging because not enough organizations are talking about that. What does belonging mean in an organization? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point, right? It's not enough organizations are talking about it. And I deliberately add the B yeah. now regularly, right? I remember when I first started in this field, it was diversity. Then it was diversity and inclusion. That's right. Right? And that's diversity, equity, inclusion. And now you're, <laughs> we're adding belonging. I mean, belonging to me uh, is really the outcome. I saw a quote very recently, and you may have seen this, which I thought was so powerful because Mm -hmm. it's short and to the point, that diversity is a fact, inclusion is an action, Mm -hmm. and belonging is the outcome, Mm -hmm. right? So belonging is that sense when everyone feels they can bring their full selves to work, right? And that you feel that when you do that, your experience, your input, your view is valued, and then it's heard. Absolutely. And to me, that's really what it means. And mm-hmm. I think if organizations don't spend enough time on that and overspend their time on the diversity part of the equation, mm-hmm. we're never going to get to where we need to be. Because mm-hmm. I also always say, speaking quite bluntly, in an organization or an association or anywhere in, in an academic environment or otherwise, we can bring in as many diverse people as mm-hmm. we wish. That's right. Right. But if the culture doesn't support it, it's never going to work. That's exactly right. You know, belonging is such an important uh, part of the equation, and I love how you explained it because uh, Oxford did a recent study that said that employees that are happy at work mm-hmm. are 13% more productive. And if you think about what that means per employee, that adds to your productivity and adds to your profitability because you're getting more work out of the same employees because they're excited about being there. They're able to contribute and feel good about that. Mm-hmm. They're empowered throughout their day. And that's so important. So I love that B, right? That belonging is such an important part of the equation and something that organizations need to be thinking about. Patsy, let's talk about the, you know, the new normal of hybrid work. Employees no longer need to be in the office to make an impact, but from a cultural perspective, it can be challenging. How do you navigate belonging and remote work environments? It's a great question, and it's it's a challenging question, yeah. right? Because I don't know if we know that yet, right? Mm. I mean, DEIB has is so much of an art as well as it's a science, right? Mm. We have the yeah. facts, but we also need to be agile and flexible yes. in our approach, depending on where we are in society and what kind of where the organization is in its journey, That's and where right. individuals are, right? So I think it's um. I used to say that it's more difficult. I just think it's different. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think one of the good outcomes or positive outcomes, I should say, coming out of COVID, yeah. um, we're not quite post-COVID, but we're moving out of it depending right. on where we are in the world, is that I think people are thinking about their lives differently. 
Yes. Right. And they're focusing on the things that are more important personally and really taking that self-reflection time more so than ever before. That's right. Right. To think that through. And I think with that happening, there's so much more focus on understanding the the sense of belonging, the importance of respect, the importance of culture, the importance of trust, and ultimately the importance of relationships. Mm. And so I think people as a result are trying harder. I see that happening in my organization. We're entirely work from home as a team. Yeah. And, and you have to make more of an effort to connect. And I think that then in turn makes our efforts more intentional mm-hmm. and more intentional efforts are more impactful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's such an important statement because, you know, with the great resignation, right, mm-hmm. employees are thinking about not only the, you know, the bottom line to their their budget, but they're thinking about, am I working for an organization that values me? Mm-hmm. Am I, you know, contributing something positive to, you know, the workforce, to society, to, you know, organizations. And it's it's so important to continue to consider that because employees are making different decisions, right? It's not just about the job that they have is the job that they keep or, you know, go with where the money is, right? Mm-hmm. Which is something that has been a shift mm-hmm. in our culture. They mm-hmm. really want to feel that they belong, that they can contribute. And, and I just love that. Patsy, are there a couple of things that we can do as organizational leaders to make sure that we're being intentional about creating belonging in a hybrid workforce? Absolutely. Um, and I, I love your comments. I think we're, we're very much aligned in our thinking on this topic, which is which is great. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I, I have uh, done a lot of research in this space and, and based on experience, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that's kind of ties my career together is that I've never taken on an existing job. Mm-hmm. I've either taken on a brand new role where it's a build out or it's a time of transformational change. Yeah. Otherwise I'm not doing it, but, um, <laughs> I tell you that because I've taken some time in recent years to pull together. What are those key components yeah. of any effective DEIB strategy within any organization? So now in the nonprofit world, having been in the corporate world for a long time, it's still the similar or the same principles. Yeah. So there are eight things I tend to talk about. Okay. Yeah. So I can, I can, I think in bullet points, by the way, um, the first is, (laughs) it happens all the time, personally and professionally, of the role of leadership, Mm. right? So, uh, you know, the executive team or the most senior people in any organization need to be fully committed to the topic Mm -hmm. and walk the talk. You know, oftentimes it's worse to say you have this grandiose strategy and not actually do it than not to do it at all, Mm -hmm. right? And then secondly is diverse representation. So being focused and intentional on bringing in diverse individuals and diversity of all types, right? Mm -hmm. You know, including just your approach, your perspective, this diversity of thought. Absolutely. Right? And then inclusive environment. So really creating that environment where belonging Mm -hmm. is valued and and people feel included and focusing on the culture piece. Um, Education. We know that in DEIB in particular, education is so important. Even the terminology, just helping people understand that, helping them understand the history of certain groups and and appreciating those situations Mm -hmm. and really having an intentional focus on bringing people to the same page, if you will. And then accountability and metrics. You know, we all know that what gets measured gets done. That's right. Right. So putting that in place in performance management and then putting metrics in place, whether an organization believes in targets or not, because mm-hmm. I have a mixed view on that. But to have actually, you know, a, a numerical, qualitative and quantitative goals that yes. we're working towards and that people are held accountable for. Absolutely. 
And then alignment across the organization. You know, we know that DEIMB is not an area where you can be autocratic. It's a role of influence. So really trying to align people across the organization in a way that, that brings them on board because they want to be part of it, yeah. right? As opposed to being told to do it. That's right. Right. And then finally, and I think the this piece is, is sort of comes at the end of the game, but is important, is external presence, mm-hmm. right? So organizations who really put their voice out, and this links back to the eighth component, which is community impact as yes. well. So equity-driven community impact as part of your external presence. And, and I, I think it's so important to really have that external voice as an organization because the power, in my view, where DEIB gets the momentum that it needs mm-hmm. is through a collective voice. You know, corporations, nonprofits, the profit sector, all working together Absolutely. with their voices to get the message out there and to bring people along. I love that. You know, there are a couple of things that you said. Um, one is diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. So very often when people think of diversity, they're thinking of race and gender. Mm-hmm. But there are so many aspects of diversity, including diversity of thought and personality and things that, that people don't associate with you know, the word diversity. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to realize that diversity does include everyone, right? And our experiences, our values, our um, you know, personality, our the way we think about things, the way we solve problems, all plays into creating a more innovative culture. And I, I just wanted to point that out because that's such an important part of the conversation. So I'm glad that you brought that up, Patsy. Thank yeah. you. Can you talk about the role of women in leadership? In your keynote, you advocate investing in women. How can we begin to do that as individuals and as organizational leaders? Yeah. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today, which is our role as individuals and our role as leaders and 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 as individuals in any part of their career in any role in the yes. in the organization. I mean, I you know, unfortunately, the progress of women over the years has not been where it should be. That's right. right? We represent 50% of the population, and we're not even close to that in terms of leadership. I mean, if you think about financial services, which, which is a challenging environment, we have about 12% women in leadership mm. out of, again, a 50% population. That's right. So we have, we have a lot of challenges there. And so, and a lot of it is historical. A lot of it is biases. A lot of it um, has an economic component to it. Mm. A lot of it has, frankly, speaking very honestly, and historically women didn't always support one another mm-hmm. as effectively in the same way that men do. Yeah. They didn't always build that network and that camaraderie. And I think that's very important for us to really think about. I think Absolutely. that's changing though, right? Yes. Definitely changing, which is great to see. Um, but I still think that we collectively... Individuals and organizations have to continue to invest and not to lose that focus on gender. Because if we stay, and I'm sure you know this as a Mm -hmm. practitioner, this figure that I keep hearing, that if we stay at the pace where we are now, we won't make the progress that we need to for the next 100 years. Yeah. So we have to really step it up. We've got to step up our game. Absolutely. Right. And and realize that women and gender is an important part of diversity and that we're not even close to there yet, even though many people think that we are. We're going to take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina knows that a healthy community is an inclusive community. And that's why we are proud to support women as they strive for equity in every facet of life. Okay, uh, my name is Eleanor Hay. I work for Blue Cross of North Carolina. At Blue Cross, I'm a director and corporate compliance official. 
Um, I was actually invited um, and also encouraged to come um, through the busyness of working. Someone told me, you know, take time out for yourself, take time out to be around women that are like-minded in networking, and so I took the opportunity to come. The first set of panelists um, was so inspiring. Also just to hear that the same things that I have been going through, my team has been going through, that these ladies share the same experiences, the challenges of you know going through the pandemic, uh, balancing work and life, and also just focusing on ourselves as women, making sure that we take time out for ourselves so that we can show up and be our best selves for our team and our family. And now we're back. And you know, Patsy, one thing that you said was around women supporting each other. And I think that applies to diversity in general because very often what happens is people think there's only so much pie, right? And I don't want someone to take my slice of the pie. There's only so many opportunities. But the more that you're able to support women, to encourage them, to mentor them, Mm -hmm. to sponsor them in your organizations, the bigger you grow that pie, right? And so the more opportunity you create, not only for yourself, but for those around you. So I love that. I love that. That's such an important part of um, the conversation around diversity because you're right. A lot of times the gender piece is getting lost and we need to make sure that that still stays, you know, front of mind um, because we do have a lot of area to make up there. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. McKinsey uh, recently released a study that suggests that women are feeling more exhausted, burned out, and under pressure than men are currently. Why, Patsy, do you think that is, and how can we manage that? Yeah, that's also great, great questions. You're making me think here, which is fantastic. <laughs> it's it's unfortunate and true that yeah. the, the pandemic has had you know, a much stronger um, impact on women, yeah. and particularly women of color, mm-hmm. um, in the research with McKinsey as well. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's 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 for a variety of different reasons. And I think it's because generally, uh, particularly, the, a lot of the research I saw recently, in fact, just in the past couple of days, points to women who have children under ten, mm. specifically, right? Mm-hmm. That they, the impact there. And I think that's because, in many many cases, that women are the primary caregivers. That's right. And as a result, when you're working and you have young children, or actually children of any age, but particularly mm-hmm. younger children in this environment, working from home. Yeah. The pressures are, and I, I saw a very interesting article on this, as I mentioned, the pressures are right in your face, Yes, right? You're not you're not going to the office and not, I mean, I have two children now who are mm-hmm. teenagers, um, but it's, uh, so they're at a little bit of a different stage of their lives. Right. But it is a, um, I think that was a lot of it or is a lot of it, mm-hmm. that multitasking, the primary caregiver, That's right. they're leaving the workforce as a result. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in terms of how to address it is a couple things. I think, first of all, we have to look at job structure Yes. Right. So what what do these roles look like? Where can flexibility be found? And this isn't just for mothers of children. It's it's for everybody, all all women, you know, who are looking for different things to your point earlier, particularly now. How do we structure jobs to allow for flexibility, to allow to meet the needs that we're trying to meet and that helps people feel that they're successful and engaged? So I think it's partly the job. And then it's secondly the environment. And it gets back to belonging and inclusion. Yes. How do we make sure that these women who are burned out do feel that their their voices are being heard? Uh, we've had a similar situation within the junior leagues and the association where our presidents, you know, they have they work outside 
of their professional role in this volunteer capacity running what are essentially small businesses. These yeah. junior leagues, yeah, they range from 50 to 5,000 people. And, you know, the the rate of burnout has been intense and it's not, it's not discussed enough. So we're focusing on that. Right. And then, as we said, looking at the roles and looking at the environment to make sure that it can be discussed and that we are maximizing the skills, needs, and desires of the women as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, we have to continue to think about this flexibility piece. If, if the pandemic, you know, did so much negative, right? But the, the one positive thing that came out of our being at home mm-hmm. is to understand that flexible work does work, right. right? And that was something that a lot of organizations weren't willing to uh, think about or, or try. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about it, especially with people with disabilities and people with chronic illness, because mm-hmm. they had been advocating for these flexible work environments for quite a long time. And, you know, with women, with children and, and any, you know, any caregiver, Mm -hmm. right. You've got people taking care of parents and, you know, so many, uh, so many different ways to, to live and family, uh, setups, right. Mm -hmm. You have to think about those flexible environments because they are really important, um, to how we're working now Mm -hmm. and how we're going to be working in the future. Absolutely. Patsy, let's talk a little bit about mentorship. Why is that so important uh, with women in leadership? Well, I think it gets back to what we were talking about in terms of women not historically until recent years supporting each other mm-hmm. as actively as men. And so I think it's so critical. I, I personally play a mentorship role in a number of different capacities as an adjunct professor, uh, speaking to students on a regular basis, going out yeah. and engaging within my own association, but also just throughout my career. Mm-hmm. And I value my mentors, as we talked about as well. So I think it's just critical for women to have mentors and to think about mentors in the broader sense of the word. It doesn't have to be someone who's necessarily more senior or more advanced in their career. It could okay. be your peer. It could mm-hmm. be somebody who's much further, you know, early in their career yeah. who has some interesting, engaging ideas that you can learn from. Mm-hmm. So I encourage women. I think it's just really important for women to do that. Men have always done it and women have historically not. So between that and sponsorship, which is an important consideration, and I actually think that sponsorship is more impactful than mentorship over time because sponsors are advocates and they're your advocates when you're not in the room. Not that a mentor can't become a sponsor, but they are two different types of roles. Yeah. So one is providing career guidance and feedback, right? And the other is more, your, again, your, your active advocate. Yeah. So I would encourage women to, of all stages of their career, to actively pursue mentors and sponsors over time because those, those relationships take time to build. So Absolutely. it's important to start them early. Patsy, tell me, who are some of the leaders that you look up to? So many, honestly, mm. you know, I've, I've often been asked who's, who are your top two to three mentors? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't really have top two to three. Like okay. I, I feel that I can learn from every experience, mm. every conversation that yeah. I have, no matter where that person is in their career, you know, whether they're more junior, more senior, younger, older, or, or, or peers, whatever the case may be, I feel like you can learn from every conversation. Having said all of that, you know, there are certainly some women whose approach and style have been particularly impactful to me. I mean, I think about a Madeleine Albright, 
Mm-hmm. For example, you know, I've had the opportunity to to live in three different continents, and I believe that wow. global. Yeah, I loved it, love it still to this day to travel. But um, you know, that concept of cultural competence is also really important. And Madeleine Albright on the global stage has been such an important figure, right? And she's in a different generation, and she's been a real pioneer in that space. And Absolutely. I think she's fantastic. Um, Condoleezza Rice, mm-hmm. I would put in the same category. Yeah. You know, again, that global perspective uh, and really pushing the envelope at a different generation. Uh, another person who I've done some work with who's uh, less well-known on the global stage but more in financial services, and she's a rock star, is Sally Krawcheck. She, I've you, heard of her. Yes. There, yes, she's fantastic. You know, she was you know one of the first very senior women in investment banking, mm-hmm. and now she made her network of women become an investment fund in women, and a very impressive, very impressive woman. And her style is really neat too because she's she's aggressive but she's feminine at the same time, mm. and I really like that. That's so those awesome. are a couple, despite what I said and the fact that I kind of learned from everything. <laughs> if I think about some strong female leaders, they really come to mind. I love that, Patsy. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So the theme of today's event is next leadership today and tomorrow, 12 months from now at next year's event. What do you think will have changed with women in leadership? Well, I think we will have adjusted mm-hmm. to some form of a new normal, Yeah. right? Whatever that looks like. Because I think we all thought we were going to be completely out of this, the pandemic by now. We're not, but we're making huge progress. I mean, I feel that's great. And I think things are continuing to evolve. So I believe that a year from now, we will be used to the new normal, whatever that may look like. I do think it will be multifaceted. And to your point earlier about flexibility, Mm -hmm. I think most, if not all organizations will have to provide a different model. I just saw on the news this morning, Amazon just made an announcement that they are no longer requiring individuals, all of their employees to go back to work three days a week, which was the plan for January, originally Mm -hmm. October, now January. And they decided not to do that. They decided to allow people to create their own roles and experiences. And I don't know all of the details, Mm -hmm. but the concept of saying we're not going to force people back in the office is I think what's going to happen. And so that model will be more adjusted to, more flexible. Mm-hmm. We'll all be more comfortable in that model. Yeah, I think we'll all better know how to lead from every seat yes. and from every type of situation, right? And I think that ultimately will rise up at the organizational level as well, as it is already, to basically say, we need to adjust our models. We need to adjust our definition of success. Yeah. And then we all need to consider that going forward. Absolutely. So that's how I see it a year from now. That makes sense. And, you know, you've said a few times in this conversation the word intentional. And I think intentional leadership is so important now and going into the future. It's not accidental, right, because of proximity anymore. You've got to be really thinking about how you want to lead and how to create environments of belonging. So that's fantastic. Patsy, where can listeners go to connect with you? Well, I'm very happy to connect, by the way, particularly on these topics, but, but uh, on anything, frankly, uh, probably probably the best place to go is through LinkedIn. I would suggest that. Um, I do have a website as well um, at patsydoor.com, but um, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm very active on that. Okay. So if people want to reach out that way, I'm, I'm on it multiple times a day and will respond. Wonderful. Patsy, thank you so much for taking some time with me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Of course. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. A pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Executive Women's Day podcast brought to you by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina. If you like this show, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share 
And for more on Executive Women's Day, visit sasschampionship.com and find them under special events. This podcast is a production of EarFluence. If you're interested in creating podcast content from your live event, visit EarFluence.com. I'm your host, Jackie Ferguson, and thank you for listening to this Executive Women's Day podcast.